Amen. You guys hear JJ say that? <clears throat> oh, this we are small in number today. This is what my classrooms have looked like this week. That's true, that's true. Um, well, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to jump in here to Acts. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, and I just thank you, Lord, that we're here, and I just pray that you'd be a blessing to all those that are here today. Lord, just help us to, uh, um, as we look at your word, God, I pray that you just teach, uh, teach us from this. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so for those of you that were here last week, what happened last week? Anybody remember what happened last week? Yeah, they were let out of prison. Yeah, remember the they they actually asked them politely, said, "Hey, could you guys come back in, right?" And question them. And yeah, we ended last week with the with Peter and the rest of the apostles um, beaten. And uh, like I said last week, we we don't want to skim over that quick verse because that beating would have been a beating with a cat of nine tails, right? Just like Jesus had received thirty nine, or it would be forty. It was called the beating of forty lashes minus one. So this is what the apostles just experience as they step out. Now, before I go any further, though, I need to ask this question and uh, see what you guys think about this, and it didn't click. There we go. Um, okay, so this, this could be a bit of a loaded question. What do you think? Do churches have problems? Yes. Now, now, there's a lot of ways you might be thinking about answering this. So your yes could have meant, do churches have problems with people, yes, but do churches themselves, like do churches, I mean, are churches perfect? Do they handle everything perfectly all the time? No. Churches have issues, don't they? Um, you know, obviously, I, I assumed the answer would be yes. I think many have struggled with this and have left church because churches have issues, and they're like, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I think that's a, a common issue. I think our church has issues from time to time. Um, some days I think, and maybe you'll agree with me, some days I think we have more than most. you feel that way ever? And Has anybody else ever felt that way? Um, <clears throat> I, I'm going to tell you right now before I go any further. I'm, I'm really hesitant about what I have written down for this message because I feel like I'm going to be kind of honest about how I feel about things um, mixed in with what I'm sharing from Scripture. So, like, when I say that, it's, as the pastor, I'm just going to tell you, I always feel responsible for that. Now, I'm not going to say any of these things so that later on you go, Matt, you shouldn't have to feel responsible. Give me that pat on the head, okay? That's not my purpose here. I'm just being honest with you. There, there, when, when, when things go bad and when we, we don't live up to what might be someone's expectations, I always feel responsible. I always do. I feel guilty. I feel responsible. I feel like, what could I have done more? What could I have done differently? Um... But I think that just to get us thinking in the right direction, uh, there were several things I found in the study for this week from Acts that I found to be encouraging for myself personally. And to get us thinking in the right direction, I'm going to share a quote. And I've been sharing a lot from this guy, Tony Merida. I need to figure out who he is exactly. His commentary is amazing. Um, I have several that I look at, but there's always so many things he says that are just so practical. I think it's because he's writing from a pastor's perspective. But he said this when he was talking about this passage. He said this. He said, remember... Uh, Jesus' parable of the net, and he gives a reference there is where it comes from. 
And he says it illustrates that not all growth is pure growth. So the, the parable has to do with a fisherman throws out a net. And you can imagine, I've never fished with a big net like that. But uh, actually, one of those videos we watched the other day uh, in Sunday school was talking about that. Can you imagine throwing out a big net? And then as you're bringing it in, you, you'd be bringing in all kinds of other stuff, too. Not just good. It's not like only the good fish came to the net and were like, all right, let's get caught. You know, there's other things that are getting trapped in the net, right? And uh, he, he says, he goes on to say, in the book of Acts, both true converts and debris or pretenders are present within the gathered church. As in the case, he gives two examples, Ananias and Sapphira, and then eventually we're going to get to the case of Simon the Magician in 8, 9 through 25. And he goes on to say this, and I thought this was interesting. He said, thus we should expect mess within the catch. That's interesting, isn't it? We should expect some mess within the catch, knowing that the Lord will sort true believers from false at a later time. So as churches grow, we ought to expect some mess in the catch. I've never thought about that before. Right? Never thought about that before. We, we should expect it, that idea of expectation. And you're going to see that so clearly when we're looking at this early church. You're going to see that so clearly. So here the church is just starting, just growing, and we've already seen with Ananias and Sapphira issues, right? Debris, mess in the catch. So here we have to think through this, and we're going to get, get started because we're going to deal with, and there's going to be another issue that's going to happen now. So we're talking about some positives, but Luke doesn't gloss over the negatives, and so this next part, he's going to kind of hit on some, some other issues that this early church has and has some problems. So let's jump into chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, let me explain first what this is talking about. Uh, Hellenistic Jews were Jews that were most likely part of the dispersion. So you had Jews that had been in Jerusalem, in Israel, their whole lives and several generations worth. You had some Jews that may have, um, were part of this, what they call the dispersion, had returned to Jerusalem. And so the Hellenistic Jews were what they would have called, would have been Greek-speaking Jews, Right? And so this is, what, this is what it's talking about. So there's, and there's amongst these, pe- these people, there are widows that are, from, that are from these Hellenistic Jews that are being neglected, right? Um, the Hebrews, what would have been called the Hebrews in this particular passage, they're the purists, right? Um, there was, be outside of the church, there was some uh, contention, as you can imagine, um, I don't think that's unlike any other time period. Doesn't it seem like it's just human nature to separate over differences, find something different, and we're like, well, this is us, and that's them. There's an us and them mentality. Don't you think, do we ever have to deal with that in our current culture? That's a sarcastic question, right? Do we ever have that kind of stuff going? Of course we do, right? Same thing is going on here. So these Hellenistic widows are being neglected. By the way, side comment, should they have been complaining about it, these, these Hellenistic widows? Should they have been complaining? Was that the right way to handle this? No, that's a side issue. But they're handling up their moment. They should have gone to the leadership. There's, some, there's other ways. But this is what was happening. So this early church, there's people being neglected. And they were being neglected. And they're complaining. And this is where we're at. This is the early church. It is happening. You know, what really got me about this was this. Peter, think about this for a second. And I think you might imagine why this could be encouraging to me. Peter was so full of the Holy Spirit. We just read last time, he was so full of the Holy Spirit that people were actually hoping that his shadow would fall on them so they would be healed, right? I mean, this is how full of the Spirit Peter is. And yet Peter was still 
neglecting certain people. Now, can you imagine how I, I, when I read that, I thought, that makes me feel bad. I'm not anywhere near Peter's caliber of, I mean, nobody's trying to put people in my shadow. And so, if, you know, yet Peter, here he was, full of the Holy Spirit, and he's, and so, once again, I'm going to quote Tony Merida. He put, it, he put it this way. He said, we must understand that failure isn't always the result of sin. Maybe I should have just kept this sermon to myself. I feel like a lot of this is aimed right at me. We, we must understand that failure isn't always the result of sin. Sometimes failure is simply due to human limitations. Did the apostles not care for widows? Of course they did. They did as much as they were able, but these men were human and they were few. By the way, how much had the church grown in this short period of time? A lot, right? Uh, let, me, let me share. In, in 241, it says that first time, it says about 3,000 souls were added. Okay? Um, in Acts 2.47, it says, uh, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved in Jerusalem. Um, in Acts 4.4, 4, we just read this uh, a couple weeks ago, it says many of those who heard the word believed in their number of the men came to about 5,000. So five, three, and, and so if these men were part of families, we double that number, right? Um, and then in Acts 5.14, it says more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. It's kind of like the McDonald's sign. Where they kept going, you know, so many millions sold, so many billions sold, and finally they just changed the sign to say, we've sold a lot or something. <laughs> you know, a countless number. This is what this early church was. Can you imagine Peter and the apostles, these 12 guys, trying to manage this situation? If I did the math right, and I think I did, there had to have been at least 20,000 some people part of this early church. How in the world, Right? How many apostles were there? Well, right? I'm sure it's quite possible at the beginning, at the very, very beginning, that Peter, after teaching in the temple that day, could have said, hey, I'm going to swing by Hannah's house. I'm trying to think of Jewish women name. Hannah's house on my way home and, and just check to see how she's doing. And, and, and then, you know, John may have said, well, you know what? I'm headed to the market anyway, and after I'm done, I'll... I'll swing by Ruth's house and see if she needs some groceries you know, or market items, whatever it is. Right? I'm sure it's possible that the, the apostles of the beginning were, were doing just a fine job handling this situation. But we've got to a place where these apostles, they're not doing it. They're neglecting. I think that even if they would have had Microsoft Excel spreadsheets with 20,000 people, it still would have been difficult to make sure that everybody was being taken care of. Can you agree with that? I mean, I, I, I feel like when I was reading this, I was thinking, when I was trying to enter into the story. I'm always telling you to try to do that. When I was entering into the story, I was thinking 20,000 people. There's no way that they could have done this. It's funny because they were trying, obviously, weren't they? Up to this point, there, were, there are human limitations to what they can do. So what are they going to do? So interesting, this passage, because it's just very practical. What are are these guys going to do? Are they going to just double their efforts? Is that what they... No. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. Now, by the way, I don't think that this is talking about the 20,000 people. Okay? I, I think that this was the extended... If you go back to the beginning when it said there were so many disciples, 100 and some disciples... I think it was probably that group, so it was a pretty large group, but it, definitely a representation of the church, right? The 12, some of the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right 
that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So after evaluating the problem, the apostles can uh, determine the priority. And their priority is what? Preaching. That's what their priority. In verse 4, we're going to read in a minute, they're going to add prayer as part of that. I want you to notice, I'm going to point something out here. Notice it says preaching, it specifically says the word of God. Keep that in mind because when we get to verse 7, there's going to be a connection to that later and I'll bring that up. So just remember that I pointed that out. But let me ask you a question. If a pastor, I'm one of those, right? If a pastor got up and said this today, it's not right that we should give up preaching the God to, word of God to serve tables. How would you respond to that? Good honesty. Does it sound kind of weird? Does it sound like, are you better than that? Like, get, it does, doesn't it? A little bit. Okay, so, so when you read something like this in the Bible, you have to go, okay, that seems kind of weird. It seems kind of off. You, at some point, you have to go, okay, if I'm reading this, and I'm, I mean, and Peter says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, connected into the Word of God, it's, he said it's not right that we should do this. So if I read that and I go, man, that doesn't seem right that he would say that, I'm, where's clearly the mistake? Is it with what Peter said or what, how I'm feeling about it? It's about how I'm feeling about it, right? So when we read a passage like that, we've got to go, if I, if I read it and I go, that seems odd, I've got to take a step back and really dig into this because if I'm thinking that that's not right, but he specifically said it's not right the other way around, who's got to be at fault? It's got to be at me somewhere, right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dig into this particular statement here and say, okay, you know, because I, I, know, that, I know that quite often we hear a pastor. In fact, sometimes if we were to list off pastorally traits of a good pastor, some of us probably would have put on that list of awesome traits. We might have even listed serve tables. We might have even listed, maybe not serve tables, but service, helping, right, all those sorts of things. We might have listed those things. Some of us might have even listed those things and then said at the end, oh, yeah, and they got to be good preachers. Right? But clearly there's something different from Peter's perspective. I mean, we might have even heard a pastor say this and, and, and looked at him and gone, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Would he say that, Peter? I don't think so. I think he would have said, I might have to lay aside some preaching duties to serve these tables. Because isn't it more important to love people, Peter? I don't know. Just maybe my thought. I don't know. But the apostles say, it's not right. Another little side note here. Literally what Peter said right here is this. He said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to deacon tables. The word that's translated serve is the same word that we get later on. It's a version of it that's translated deacon. A lot of people, this is what they look back at and they think, they think the, the, the office of deacon, you know, we have deacons. The office of deacon, maybe it finds its roots in this passage. And I would agree with that. I think the roots of what we call deacons later, that Paul talks about as this uh, official position, finds its roots right here. This is the beginnings of it. And so Peter said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to, to deacon tables. Now, I uh, need to be honest again. Okay, so I'm being honest here. I know... That, me, I know I neglect our shut-ins sometimes. Actually, a lot of times. I know that's the case. Um, 
our sick, our elderly, our people that can't get out anymore, um, visiting Ed, um, visiting Don Hinkle, um, Mel and Phyllis White, and Malou. Um, I feel guilty about this all the time. Um, once again, I'm not saying this so you'll later go, Matt, it's okay, buddy. Yeah, okay, I and mean, that's not why I'm doing this. Um, I've come to realize, and so there's, there's some connection in here to what Peter's saying that hit home for me personally, and that's why, that's, that's what this conversation's about. I'm going to quote Tony Merida again, I'm sorry. I think I already shared this one once, but let's put it up there again. We must understand that failure isn't always a result of sin. I had to read this like three times, by the way, this one. Um, sometimes failure is simply due to human limitations. And what's funny about this is that a lot of times when I've shared with the people that are closest to me, like my mom, my wife, and other people that I know, uh, John, uh, um, they've actually used words similar to this and, and said to me, Matt, you have human limitations. You have limitations. And I've gone, yeah, but I'm sure that I could have. No, Matt, you have limitations. Do you see where I'm going with this? I, I've, I've struggled with that. I really struggle with this. There are Limitations. In fact, even talking about this right now, I feel like I'm trying to make excuses for not visiting as much as I should. I genu- I, I'm sitting here today before I'm going, I go I, I'm, I was hesitant to share this because I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna, am I going to come across like I'm making excuses for why I haven't done as much as I ought to? Um, but I have to tell myself sometimes I have limitations, and Charity reminds me all the time, you have limitations, you're a human being. You can't just go nonstop. You know, I think the problem is, this isn't in my notes. I, you know, I think the problem is, when, when, I, when I was finishing school, um, I've probably told you this before, um, I was working a full-time job, and I did my student teaching at the same time. So I, I, would, I would, was going to school full-time and working a full-time job. In fact, during the, the holiday season, it was because it was a target distribution center. I was working 10-hour days. I was working uh, uh, 50 hours a week and going to school full-time, full-time load of school. I also had a wife and a child at the time. Um, I did it, though. That's kind of prideful, isn't it? I'm sorry. Uh, And then when I did my student teaching, I was actually at school all day long as a teacher, filling the role of a teacher, and I would get off, and I literally had enough time where I could get off work from the school. I had just barely enough time. Actually, I usually had to change my clothes in the car um, to get from school to the warehouse, and then I had to, the, the time clock. It was a huge warehouse. It took like five minutes to get to the time clock. I had just barely enough time to make it to the time clock to punch in to, to work, and then I'd work all night. See, I usually wouldn't get home till like 1.30, and then I had to get up again and to be at school by start time, which was like 7.30, and it was like a 30-minute drive to school. And so I was getting off work, getting home by 1.30, usually not getting in bed till 2, and then I was up by 5.30, 6 o'clock, and do, I did that every day, five days a week, for a semester of school. And I think what's happened is I've thought to myself, if I could do that, man, I could do this too. And I'm starting to realize I can't. And so I see some of this connection between what Peter's talking about and what they're going through. And I, I, I do, even, we don't have 20,000 people, which then makes me feel bad too because I'm thinking he had 20,000 people. I'm not even close to that and I'm struggling. But I want to continue then with the handling of the problem because I, th- I think there's something about the way he said it's not right for us to do this. I think there's something about that that's really, really important for me and for you. Let me continue on, verse 3. He says, Therefore, brothers, 
pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they give this task to the people. One commentator called this the first example of affirmative action. This is actually really key significance here. He says this, he says, those with political power generally repressed complaints of minorities, especially in this time period. So if you had minority groups that were like, hey, bring up complaints, so these Hellenistic widows being the case, right, complaining, were being neglected. Normally, people with political power, if there's somebody complaining, they kind of squelch that to maintain their power. What do the apostles do? The apostles hand the whole system over to the offended minority. In fact, we're going to see in a minute, it's going to list off the names of these uh, people that they assign, and they're all Greek names. Which means that as they, when they handed off responsibility, they basically said, the group that's, that's we're, we're going to let you run the show. That's interesting leadership, isn't it? Instead of saying, okay, I've got to make sure that I, I'm managing everything. The apostles say, you guys can take care of it. No longer is it going to be laying the money at the apostles' feet so they can distribute. Now it's them. Interesting action on the part of their leadership, isn't it? I think there's some humility there. This idea of like, hey, it's not right for us to, this idea of deaconing the table, serving the tables, I don't think it's just that they're saying we shouldn't, we're not going to get our hands dirty, right? That's not what it's about. I think there's something else. I think they're saying this aspect of ministry, and this is really super important, we're going to come to in just a minute. This aspect of ministry, um, we're going to devote ourselves to this aspect of ministry. We're going to let somebody else handle this aspect of ministry. Now, this is not technically the office of deacon, but once again, I think the roots of it are here. They continue, they say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they add this word prayer in there. So, so they say, we're going we're gonna to hand this over to you. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Interesting little factoid again. This, this is going to blow your minds. Um, the word that's translated ministry is the same word that's translated serve earlier with tables. So literally what he's saying here is this. Um, The seven are going to deacon the tables. We're going to deacon the word. You see that? So it's, it's, they're they're talking about a priority. What's the priority? What's the key significant priority for the person who's holding this position, for them an apostle, for us now, of pastor, what's the key significant priority? It's to deacon, to serve the word of God. That's, I have to look at what I do as a pastor and I have to say, my number one responsibility is, and you think about all the things, serving tables, deaconing tables, right? So then you think about what I'm doing now in the same light and you think, what am I doing through the week then? What, what should I be doing? And this actually made me feel worse. I'm sorry. Uh, this made me feel worse because then I'm like, I'm not praying and studying enough. I should be doing more of that. I mean, they're devoted to prayer. You know, it's not like they just said, we're not going to do this. But they're devoting themselves to prayer. And I'm like, oh, man, I need to be praying more too. Uh, but, but the thing is, what, what am I doing during the week? I'm, I'm like, you know, if you're serving tables, you're getting the, getting the plates ready, right? And then you bring and you're serving the tables, you're distributing. I mean, isn't that what I do every Sunday? I'm so during the week, I'm like preparing this meal. We got a little passage of scripture. Let's dice it up, slice it up, 
Okay, get it ready, you know, cook it up. Oh, here's something good. Let's emphasize this, a little spice here. Then bring it and serve it to you on Sunday. I mean, isn't that what I'm doing on Sundays? I'm here to deacon to you the word, right? Serve to you the word. So the seven, deacon the tables. The 12, deacon the word. When I visit people, my, my sense of responsibility ought to be, and it is most of the time, ought to be because I would just want to be a good example for you. I don't think that Peter and the rest of the apostles stopped visiting widows. I think what they probably did is say, you know, now one of these seven might say, hey, we need you to go visit this person. Absolutely. Right? Where they've, they've handed off responsibility of knowing where they ought to go and where they ought to be to these guys. And in a sense, they've made the priority serve the word, but they're still servants. Right? They're still servants. I struggle a little bit. And please don't get me wrong. I want to visit people. Okay? So don't walk away from this going, I don't think that wants to visit people. That's not, that's not, what, it, that's not what I'm saying. Okay? That was one of my fears. I actually put that in the notes because I was like, I don't want anybody to walk away thinking, that doesn't like people. <laughs> okay? That's not, that's not what I'm saying. It's not that I don't care. But at the same time, I have human limitations. And I struggle getting to those things. And I think that as a church, we sit here and we look at, just like this church, there was some struggle. I think we've got some struggle here too, and I think we can learn something from this lesson. Let's consider next how the people respond to this. And what they said leads the whole gathering. Um, this is important. They chose Stephen. Now, Stephen, we get a bigger description of this. This is, this is important because Stephen is going to play a role in the very next chapter. And remember, I told you that this is all building up to something. Stephen is going to play a key role in, in what happens next. And so Luke emphasizes what he knows about Stephen. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Arminus, and Nicholas, and Nicholas, who was a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Do you think that there may have been any temptation to have a negative response to this? I mean, don't you think, I'm just picturing Timon, whoever he is, visiting Ruth the widow that I mentioned earlier. And she's going, who are you? Timon? Where's Pumbaa? <laughs> um, Timon, um, you know, I want Peter. I, I'm not feeling good. I need his shadow, right? I, I, don't, I don't even know who you are. Nicanor? I don't know who you are. Peter should be coming to visit me. Do you, so you think there could have been that temptation? Absolutely. Isn't it amazing that the group was pleased? They were pleased with change, right? This is different, but this is good. This is smart. They're all pleased. The church came together. They're pleased. And consider the result next. Remember earlier I said, word of God. They said, we're going to focus on the word of God. Listen to what happens. And the word of God, that's important. See, there, there's, he, Luke's connecting this. Word of God continued to increase. Why, why did it continue to increase? Because 
Peter and the apostles said, we're going to devote ourselves to this. And so what happens? The word of God continues to increase. And guess what happens next? And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the... Who? Wait, that's got to be a typo. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, that could be a whole other story. Even some of the harshest opponents of Christianity... God's saving them too. But if you ask yourself the question, what, what decision was made that brought about this type of amazing result? It goes back to when Peter said, it's not right that we deacon the tables. What's right is we need to deacon the word. We need to focus on the ministry of the word. On, on praying and, and, and studying and getting the, the dish of the word of God ready. We need to focus on that. And what's the result? The church grows. Right? The church grows. Their choice was the right choice. They were right in what they said. The church continues to grow. Now when I think about an application today, I don't have a specific list of points to put up on here today. But I've got some points, but they're not specific enough that I felt like I could type them out. Okay, let me just share a few things with you. Because this is just gets really practical for us. Number one. There are some that I'm worried about that are being neglected. That's, that's important to me. Um, like I said, shut-ins. Um, people struggling. I mean, even this last week with what's going on with Bruce and Lucinda and and you know, you did, I mean, I, honestly, with this small group, I we the list. I mean, just even this morning during praise time, and just I think, but I feel like thing after thing after thing after thing after thing is happening to random people in our church. Does anybody else feel that way? Okay, I see some. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, that's important. I think we're having a similar struggle that this early church had. On a much smaller scale, but similar. Number two, um, I can't do it all. I've tried. Um, unlike most churches, even in, in our area, I have, I have a full-time job. Once again, I feel guilty talking about this. I feel like I'm making excuses for myself. Um, I think that some might say that teaching is not just a full-time job either. I don't know if anybody knows anything about teachers. Are they busy? All the time. Um, our other pastor is the manager of a store that's trying to relocate his store. That's your two pastors. Um, do you think that we're taking work home? Do you think our work ends? At the, yeah, it doesn't end, right? It's coming home with us. Um, I had a good routine before I had the flu. Um, I haven't recovered from that mentally yet. I'm still like, well, I say I'm sleeping in, but sleeping in for me means I'm getting up at 5.30 instead of 4.30. Um, my days are full. I get to the end of the day and I'm like, I should go visit this person. I should go visit this person. And I'm going to be honest with you. I go, I don't think I can do it. I'm beat. Um... That's just the reality of our church. This isn't really a this isn't really a sermon anymore. This is just us 
together. This is, this is where we're at. Um, number three, um, deacons and deaconesses. Um, the role of deacon, and if you want a good biblical um, support for the role of deaconess, I'd be more than happy. I'll sit down and I'll explain to you exactly where that's at in the Bible. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but this role is one of servant leadership. It's become official. Um, deacons, I think, in some churches have become like the, the bosses. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it is here. Deacons are taking the lead on serving. That's what the word means. You guys know how many deacons we have right now? The deacons can't answer. Two, yeah. Um, one of them's Bruce. Let's be honest. Bruce has his hands full right now. Let's be honest. He had his hands full before his entire property flooded with a handful of JJ. <laughs> um, JJ's not a handful. Yes, he is. He's two handfuls. <laughs> Um, the other one's my dad. Let's be honest, he's old. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of laughter over here from that child. I was just going to say I was joking, Dad. Um, actually, I want to brag on my dad for a moment. He has really risen to the occasion as a, as a deacon. Um, he hates this, what I'm doing right now. He wants to run out of here as I speak. Um, he's done a great job at, uh, like Chuck, going to pick up Chuck, um, befriending uh, Jeff, the guy that's, well, he's not here today, but Jeff that's been coming. Um, and that's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Um, I have other help as well. I, I always, I'm going to be honest with you, I thank God for several people in this church, and there's no way that I can go down the list of exactly who I need to thank. And so I hesitate thanking a few more people because I know I'm going to leave somebody off and then I'm going to feel bad about it later, okay? So if I don't mention you personally, I'm sorry. But I do want to mention, um, I do have other help. One of them is Norma. Uh, Norma is always letting me know what's going on with Don Hinkle, the Malou. She's checking in on people. I mean, that, that is the picture of how it ought to be. Um, following up on needs. There's others in this, this room that I'll, I'll get reports from you occasionally. You'll say, hey, I checked up on this person this week. I, I want you to know how much I appreciate that. Okay? I want you to know how much I appreciate that because my, my brain platter is full and there's things falling off of it all the time. I mean, I just don't have the mental capacity to do all the things that I ought to do. And I appreciate so much when you guys come up to me and say, hey, I checked in on this person this week. This is what's going on. I checked it. That is precisely how a church ought to function, is you as a people checking in on each other, right? That's how it ought to be. But I still think there's still some neglect. I've meddled around with solutions for this for the last several years because I felt this way for a long time. Um, I've gotten some slight solutions over the years. Uh, I think the first real bump that I needed help with uh, came when Ashley decided to start leading music. I don't know if you guys know this. I've mentioned it a few times, but I actually led the music a couple times. That was horrible. Amen, my wife said, yeah. Um, that was awesome. Then Katie joined our church, and with, with the Wonder Twin Powers, now we have the best music in, in uh, Danville. Um, John came along, uh, and just having John just share that 
feeling of responsibility is huge. Um, thank you, by the way. Um, uh, he took the load of Sunday school off my shoulders. I mean, before I was trying to prepare two things every Sunday, and now I have to do one. Um, but it's more than that for me. It's, it's much bigger than that. And really, as we think about even John as pastor, what should he be devoted to? What two things? Prayer and, prayer and preaching of the Word, prayer and study, prayer and those kinds of things. I, I see John quite often being devoted to the sound system. Because... You don't have anybody else to do it. Um, he ends up being the sound guy, and sometimes he's the tech guy with me, right? Um, some degree, this is okay. We're a small church. We're not a 20,000 people church, okay? I get it. But at the same time, I, I, I think to be just upfront, I think that sometimes we need to take a step back and look at could we do any of these things better? Um, in my opinion, I think we could use, uh, we're a small church, but I think we could use another deacon or two. Um, uh, you don't have a full-time pastor, and so it makes sense to consider those things. Um, I know that there's qualifications for deacon. I'm going to go over some of those on Wednesday night this coming week. But understand that the role of deacon is the role of servant. It's, it's the role of a person that's going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I mean, the word itself means serve, and it's the role of a person that's in the church going, I'm, I'm here. And, and understand that from my perspective, one of the things that deacons do is they say, they're, they're saying, Matt, we're going to make sure that you have enough time to devote to prayer and the preaching of the word. That's part of what that role is. You know, we're going to serve the people. You serve the word. You make sure it's well-cooked, you know, ready to go. That's your job. That's what we need you to focus on in prayer. Praying for this church, praying for growth of this church. Doesn't mean, once again, that I don't want to visit people. But what ought I be devoted to, according to this passage? If I read this passage and I walk away from it as a pastor, and I say, what should I be devoted to? What should it be? Prayer and preaching of the word. When this problem came up for these people, the apostles handled it by basically handing over responsibility to the people. In some sense, I think that that's where we're at. Where I'm going as your pastor, I'm saying, you know what? Um, This idea of picking deacons, if you read the passage, they even amongst themselves thought these would be people that are good at it. Um, This was a young church too, wasn't it? Hadn't been around for very long. And there were still people that were stepping up to the plate to say, we can do these things. We can serve. Um, this is where we're at. This is where we need to go. I, I think that just on a practical note, what I'm looking at is, is looking at all of you saying, hey, if you're interested at all in anything like that, or if you know somebody in the church that's interested, see, because these, the, real, the best deacons don't, aren't usually the ones that go, I think I'd be good at this. <laughs> right? The best ones are the ones that somebody else has to say, they're already doing this. They're awesome at it. We should give them the title to go along with it because they're great at it. I mean, isn't that the truth? The best deacons aren't the ones that are going, I'd be such a good deacon. <laughs> the best deacons are the ones that are going, oh, I'm not very good at it, but somebody else is going, they're amazing at it. 
They're such a servant. They have such a servant's heart about everything that they do. They're always checking in. They're always doing these kinds of things. They ought to be in that place. That's, that's what happened in this passage. It says they chose amongst themselves and they said, hey, these seven guys would be great at it. It doesn't say that the seven guys said, we'd be great at this, right? The seven guys, they said, they'd be great at this. And the apostle said, looks like a good choice. So let's pray over them. Put them to work. I think what's interesting, and I'm going to end on this note um, uh, by this guy named Art. Uh, Art says this. He, he, I think he purposely phrased it this way. I, I love how it's phrased. He says, impediments to growth caused by growth can become occasions for growth when priorities are protected and ministry is shared. I think we can learn something from this. I know a lot of us say, man, we'd love to see our church grow. I think that this is the route we ought to take for church growth. Work, work for them. Priorities are protected and ministry is shared. Well, I think we've seen a little bit of a, an uptick in growth. Now, I, I, on a day like today, I'm going, <laughs> where's it at? But uh, we, we've seen a little bit of uptick. We've, we've had more visitors lately. We have something. I, I think we're, we're, we're at this point where th- this ministry, I really believe, is of God. We've those that are here have dedicated this ministry. We want this church to be God's kind of church. This is what it looks like. I think this is very timely for us. For me as a pastor to think, what do I need to be devoted to? Do I need to be like, devoted to going and checking in on everybody? I want to do that. I keep saying that because I'm afraid somebody's going to go, he doesn't want to visit people. I want to do that. But what ought I, like in my head, as I'm thinking through, what should I be devoted to? Where should I be expending my energy? If I've got just a little bit of energy left, what should I put it towards? Prayer and preaching of the word. And this, in my case, during the week, prayer and study, prayer and research, prayer and looking at the word of God, praying over, praying over all of you, praying over the word, praying for these things. If I've got the extra little bit of energy in the day, this is, that's where I should be devoted. That's what I should be devoted to. But I'm going to tell you right now, that will only work if I got, I'm going to use the number seven, if I've got my seven, Right? What would have happened with these apostles if they wouldn't have had anybody to step up to the plate? They would have neglected the preaching of the word because these apostles, they would have, not, they would have done that in order to care for those widows. They would have said, I'm going to have to lay that. I, I got to go. Somebody's got to do it. Nobody else do it. I'm going to do it. You think Peter, that's exactly what Peter would have done. But because there were seven that were able to step up to the plate and say, we got this, Peter. Go. Study. Prepare. Learn. We're, we need to be ministered to ourselves because as we minister to these, we need to be ministered to from the word of God. So go. So the only way this will work for, for John and myself to devote ourselves to the prayer and the preaching of the word is for, on the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, those amongst the people are saying, we're going to step up to the plate to serve, to look out for, to care for, to make sure, to update, to report. That's the only way it will work. But I think if we follow God's plan of priority and shared ministry, I believe we will see increased growth here as well. And maybe even like them, from some of their harshest opponents in their case the priests let's pray 
Heavenly Father, God, I do uh, want to thank you for your word. I thank you for the struggles and the drama that this early church went through. Uh, and that you had Luke write it down so we could read it, learn from it. Uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would be with us as a church. Help us to keep our priorities straight. Lord, help us to share the ministry. Lord, help us to be whatever kind of church you would have us be. Lord, we, I know that we all want to submit to your leadership and your authority. Help us to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.